We've been having a series on emotionally healthy spirituality, and what it's been about really has been about freedom. It's about bringing freedom to our lives, freedom from uh, sinful patterns in our past, freedom from fears and wounds, uh, just freedom in Christ. And so we actually, I don't know if you all know this, but we have a resident poet, and so I've actually invited Van, if he would come and uh, give, him, give us one of his um, original poems. Thank you. Hold on, it might be off. Oh, no, it's on. There we go. Sound good? You hear me? All right. You are free. You need never be in bondage. You are free. Free to choose your course, leap upon your wild horse, and ride on without remorse. You are free. You are free. Don't be conformed to this world. You are free. The world will try to mold you with its many snares to hold you, but remember what I told you. You are free. You are free. Don't let them bind you. You are free. Loose those chains of desperation, that performance orientation based on others' expectations. You are free. You are free. Don't listen to their lies. You are free. Don't let the enemy's deception put you under obligation to family, friend, or nation. You are free. You are free. You don't need to do it right. You are free. Free to fall flat on your face and then rise from your disgrace and go on to win the race. You are free. You are free. It's okay to feel down. You are free. Free to be angry, sad, or tired when life seems so bemired. Free to feel uninspired. You are free. You are free. Not judged by what you've done. You are free. Free to sit or walk or stand, lie at rest or win the land. Take or decline a helping hand. You are free. You are free. Loved and accepted as you are, you are free. More beautiful by far every wound and every scar because they're part of who you are. You are free. You are free. God the Father loves you. You are free. Not only did he make you, but he never will forsake you. To his mansion, he will take you. You are free. You are free. No longer under law. You are free. Free to rest within his grace because in Christ you've won the race. Free to look upon his face. You are free. Let's just pray. Let's just close our eyes. Receive from the Holy Spirit right now. Receive freedom. We receive your light and your freedom, Lord, into our lives. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord.
you are good. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, isn't that amazing? I love that. Thank you so much, man. That's great. I'm going to tell you a little story about my spring. Uh, as many of you know, I had what was supposed to be an ordinary, straightforward hysterectomy in April. Um, but instead, uh, after three days of being home from the hospital after that, I started feeling nauseous and feverish and sick. And so I ended up back in the hospital for six days. And during that time, they discovered I had an ileus, which is basically a paralyzed digestive tract. Then um, they also found that I had a large infected abscess in my abdomen. And um, they found that they had this horrible... Um, I had days of nausea and pain. I was just feeling awful. They ended up putting a drain in, which was very painful, uh, and had to sort of try to drain the abscess. Uh, it was a horrible thing. I went home with antibiotics. Back in the hospital for five days. So I was in six days at first, and then five days uh, after that. Um, when I went back into the hospital the second time, it turned out the abscess had been growing again and had come back, even after the drain and even after the antibiotics. This was not how it was supposed to work out. <laughs> I had told the board, I said, I got this minor surgery. Two weeks later, I'll be up and going. <gasps> no problem. Um, it, you know, you never expect to be the one with the complications, right? I was at the dentist the other day, and she said, have you had any surgery since I last saw you? I was like, oh, yeah, I had a hysterectomy. And then she said, uh, I assume no complications. <laughs> like, that's what we assume, right? It's like, well, actually, <laughs> um, we had some complications. This is not how it was supposed to happen. Now, I have to give glory to God. Miracles happened also. Um, one of the concerns as I was in the middle of this was that I had a fistula, which for those of you that don't know medical terms, it's basically kind of like a hole that would have been in my intestine or colon that was leaking that would be causing all the fluid in the abscess. And they said, if you have this fistula, it might go away on its own, but it might not. And if it doesn't, you have to have more surgery. And I was panicked about the thought of no surgery, more surgery because of all that had happened already. And this was in the middle of my kind of feeling really ill. And so um, we were praying, you know, that there'd be no fistula. And I have to tell you that as we're praying for it, my faith was flagging. I was asking the question, do my prayers really do anything? Because <laughs> it just seemed like it was going from worse to worse. I was getting more fluid. Nothing was going, getting better. And I, I remember even asking myself the question, does Jesus really heal? <laughs> You might think, well, that's not a good question for a vineyard pastor to be asking herself. But have you ever been there? Everything in you knows, of course, that he heals. But does he really when it comes to me and my situation right now? Um, and the next day, um, I was watching, of all things, The Chosen, which for those of you who don't know, it's a show about Jesus. Great, it's a great show. Um, and uh, I was watching this, the episode where the, the disciples, it's a story about Jesus, basically, the life of Jesus, and it's a story, the point was when the disciples were going out and healing, and they were healing and casting out demons, and they were very amazed at all this, that God had given them the power to do this, and so I was sitting there watching this, and I can't explain it, except that God just all of a sudden dropped faith in my heart. My heart that had been very faithless, had been doubting he could do anything at all, and all of a sudden, faith dropped in my heart, and I thought, Jesus is Nazareth, Nazareth can do anything. And I knew in that moment I was healed. I knew, I knew the fish had closed up. And actually, the next morning, I had no fluid that drained. So it actually, God had done a miracle. He had closed up the fish Hallelujah. <laughs> the second miracle that happened was um, that, unfortunately, even though the fistula was healed, um, I still had an infection. And therefore, the abscess was, was growing back. and went back into the hospital the second time. They're looking at the whole thing. It's grown to seven centimeters. It's a big abscess. They said, we're going to have to put the drain back in. 
Now, I can't tell you how bummed out I was about that because it had really hurt the first time, um, and I didn't know how long it, they were going to put it in or if it would even work uh, at all. And so I just remember being rolled in. So it was the night they took the, the, the CT scan, saw it. Then the morning they rolled me in to the same CT place. It's where they do the procedure. And I'm rolling it, and I'm, as I'm rolling over there, I'm just thinking, Lord Jesus, I felt very weak. I felt so weak in a situation, like I got nothing. And I was like, Lord Jesus, please surround this place and be with me because I'm scared and I don't want to do this. Um, and I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to surround my little bed as they're boiling me down, the, uh, down the, the hall. Get in there. They put in the IV. They slide me in for one last check in order to check and see exactly where things were for him to place it. They roll me back out again. And there's like a little pause, a little wait. And suddenly the doctor comes out and he looks at me and he says, I can't explain it, he said, but... Um, your fistula was, or your abscess was seven centimeters yesterday, and this morning it's three centimeters. So I can't put in a drain. <laughs> and all I could think of in that bed was, Jesus! <laughs> like, I was so relieved, so happy, so thankful that he had done that for me. So they aspirated it. I went on a whole bunch more antibiotics. Um, thank the Lord now. Several months later, I feel back to my normal self. Um, but... You know, and you may ask yourself, why is she talking about this when, if you read your e-bulletin this week, you know that what I'm actually talking about this morning is about dealing with loss and limits. And the reason I'm telling you this story is that even in the midst of this situation, which, uh, in which there were good things that happened and people were so great to me and I had some miracles happen, I was still extremely discouraged during this whole time. This was really um, a bummer, uh, and, and I think it was, it, it kind of revealed to me, we're talking about emotionally healthy spirituality, it revealed to me kind of a lack in my own self for dealing with this kind of situation, which was completely out of my control. The first time I was in the hospital, I was so low. I was just in pain, I was nauseous, and I just wasn't sure God was even there. Um, it was so unexpected. I was, I, I knew I wouldn't die from this, so I know many of you have faced even worse uh, and, and have dealt with it so much better, but that's all I kept thinking about. I kept thinking, you know, everybody else is out there living their lives. I'd go to the window on this now. Um, I think it was probably the first time I'd had something that was really truly a limit on my own body. I've had many losses before and grieved many things, but, um, and I've even broken things, and it had, but, but it was always like a straight line back to normal. This was not a straight line back to normal. And so it revealed something in my own spirit that I need to grow, that I need to grow. Um, so we're talking here about a four-week series, and uh, for this four-week series about emotionally healthy spirituality, and the whole point behind it is that we can be spiritually mature. You can love the Lord, you can come to church, you can know your Bible really well, and yet still be emotionally immature, not having developed, that we still struggle with anger, that we still struggle with, um, you know, wanting to be first. We have a lack of self-awareness. We're defensive when we're challenged. We can't handle conflict well. We're judgmental or touchy. All of these things that, that we haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to come below the surface, making room. It's funny that we got that word today. That we've let him into some rooms, but not other rooms. This is my touchy and defensive room. When anybody disagrees with me, I'm touchy and defensive. So he doesn't get to come in that room. This is my room of wounds from my past. And so if anybody talks about my parents, I'm going to bite their head off because I don't want to talk about that room. So we have rooms where we've put things and we don't let Jesus into those rooms. And this whole series is about letting Jesus into all of us. Coming below the surface and starting to, uh, to come and do a, healing, a work of healing and of peace um, to bring us freedom, as we heard today. So today is about growing through loss and limits. 
because we're all going to face loss and we're all going to face limits. We've been reading the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro, and I love something that he said in the book. He said, limits are behind all loss. Limits are behind all loss. I think there's great truth to that. The problem with loss is it makes us face our limits. We all have limits. Loss makes us face the fact that we cannot do and be everything that we want to do and be. Um, we have limits of opportunity. We have limits of abilities. We have limits on our resources. Um, our lives don't always work out the way we planned. Our careers don't always develop the way we wanted them to. Our kids don't turn out the way we thought they would turn out after all the things we did for them. Uh, they still don't turn out the way we thought they would. Um, we don't make the huge impact we thought we'd make in life. I never got to be a rock star. <laughs> you know, we all have limits, right? There's limits on us. Um, and, and that's, it, loss makes us face those limits. There, it's a loss in our life when we look back and we say, I never got to do this thing. I never got to be this thing. So there's loss that related to our limits as a person. And then loss also makes us face the fact that we don't live forever. And neither do the people we love. And so we will all end up saying goodbye to loved ones and someday we will say goodbye to this earth as well. There's limits on our lives. And I like that Scazzaro quotes um, a, a, a sermon by Jonathan Edwards, famous sermon on the book of Job. And in it, he said, Edwards says, Job is really the story of us all. We think of Job, and he lost everything, right? He lost his family, he lost his health, he lost his, you know, wealth, and he lost it all at once, so it's a terrible thing. But, you know, honestly, we all lose it all <laughs> eventually, right? We, we, we leave everything behind when we go to Jesus. We leave it all here. And over the course of our lives, we're going to lose our youthfulness, our physical abilities. We're going to lose um, some of our dreams that we never got to fulfill. We're eventually going to leave careers that we spent a whole lifetime building. Our children are going to move away and become more independent and leave us and go on with their own lives. We're going to leave houses that we built and move into much smaller places and condos and assisted living places and smaller places than we're used to. And we all also, at some point, experience some kind of catastrophic loss, right? We've all, uh, if you've lived more than a few years, you've lost some loved ones, some real hard ones to have lost. We've experienced other things, divorces, um, you know, someone has an affair on us, our spouse has an affair, we have, uh, we get diagnosed with cancer, we have a miscarriage or a stillbirth, where a friend betrays us, we suffer abuse, we are all going to go through loss. And it, the weird thing about this is that we all try to convince ourselves that these things aren't going to happen. It's kind of like the, you know, the complications from surgery. We assume we're not going to have any complications from surgery. Well, and we assume that none of these things are going to happen to us. And I got news for you. They're all going to happen to us. Not every one of them will happen to every one of us, but we're all going to experience some loss. We're all going to experience our limits. And so there must be a way for us to face this, this fact of humanity with grace, with the grace of God on us. There must be a way to handle loss and limits in a way that's authentic to the human condition, but also invites God to come along with us and, and, and invites God into all of that we're going through. This is what we want as Christians, right? We want to walk with God through the ups, through the mountains, and in the valleys. So this is what we're going to talk about today, a biblical approach to loss and limits. I've got just three things that I want to bring to you today. The first is an obvious one, but maybe we don't know this as well as we should. There's a time for mourning, and there's a time for dancing. Ecclesiastes makes this pretty clear in Ecclesiastes 3. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, 
a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. We shouldn't try to avoid the tears, uh, and we also shouldn't try to avoid the laughter. And in fact, sometimes, you know, it's just as bad to deny ourselves any joy after a loss as it is to deny ourselves the tears. It's funny, I've done a lot of funerals in my life, and um, the person who's grieving is always very astonished that in the same day, sometimes in the same hour, they can be sobbing in the, in the loss, crying for the loss of this person, and yet then, 20 minutes later, they're laughing <laughs> because somebody's told them a funny story about their loved one, and they say, how can this be possible that I'm crying and laughing? And I'm like, because you're human. <laughs> Hallelujah, what a beautiful thing we are. What a beautiful creation we are that we can go from laughter to tears and then back to tears, laughter and then back to tears after that. That's normal. So, but that what this means is that we need to, as healthy, emotionally, spiritually healthy people, we need to allow time for mourning and for weeping. And I think sometimes as Christians, we're not so good at this. I think we sometimes think that there's only a time for rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing. <laughs> that we're never allowed to be sad for more than five minutes or cry for a little while. We come to think that anything negative um, is somehow faithless and not biblical. I think it's a misinterpretation of the scripture when it says rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That doesn't mean that every minute of every day you have to be rejoicing. It means that that should be the tone of your life, right, of rejoicing in God. Um, But it doesn't mean that you have to have a happy face all the time or that you're not allowed to cry for more than five minutes or mourn that we have to keep a smile on our lips or praise the Lord, always ready, no matter what's going on inside. Somehow, we feel that we're not able to acknowledge or linger in sadness or sorrow because we think that somehow that means we don't trust God or think he's working all things together for good. How many of you know that I can believe that God is working all things together for good but still be sad about how it's working out? Let me say that again. I can believe that God is working all things together for good, but still be sad about the way it's working out. We can hold both of those things. The fact that I feel a certain way doesn't mean that I've lost my faith. It's just how I'm feeling. Feelings will come and will go. They're important. But it doesn't mean my faith has changed. I remember when my mom got sick with breast or with um, brain cancer, and um, in those final weeks and months, she actually had an encounter with Jesus. She was not a believer before that. She had an encounter with Jesus, a great story, and she came to faith right before she died. And so I was so thankful, and and I knew in some ways that it was only faced with her own death that she would finally come to Jesus. It was just knowing her personality. It was that moment that was going to have to do it. And, um, and so I was thankful in, in many ways to Jesus that he, you know, brought this upon her so that she could be in heaven now. But I was still desperately sad that my mom was dying. I still miss her. Um, there's still a little ache in my heart that I don't get mom to show her what, what I'm up to and what, what's happening and how my kids are and all that. So I can, I can rejoice that God was doing a good work but I can also be sad about it. Now, the Psalms show us this biblically over and over again, right? There's so many Psalms which have, um, you know, emotions pouring out of them, anger and fear and sadness, and and, and the psalmist is never afraid to speak it out, never afraid to speak it out. Just God can take it. He's okay. (laughs) Um, And and he just speaks it out. I want to read you some excerpts from one of the most poignant Psalms, I think. It's Psalm 88. It's a very human Psalm, Um, and I'm going to read you pieces of it here. 
Here's what he says. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, when you remember no more who are cut off from your care. You, he's talking to God now, you have put me in the lowest pit. That's how he talks to God. So direct. God can take it. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. You think it's going to shift a little bit here, but it says, I cry to you for help, Lord, in the morning. My prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? It's not even getting anywhere in prayer. From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken me from me, my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. And that's how the psalm ends. It's a real upper. You know, many of the psalms, if there's complaining or lament in them, they kind of end with a couple verses of praise just to kind of like make it sound a little better. This guy doesn't bother to do that. He ends in his sorrow. And honestly, I feel that this psalm should be a comfort to anyone who's suffered a, a really tragic loss. Because sometimes there's days you just can't end with praise. That's not, that's not, um, it's not wrong to say that some days I'm not going to be able to muster up a hallelujah. Some heartaches are so strong, some losses are so hard that it's going to take us time. It doesn't mean that we don't believe in God and that he's worthy of praise. It doesn't mean that we don't think we'll praise again someday. We will. But there's moments of our life where we're not going to be able to even muster up that praise. And that's okay. God is bigger than all that. He knows your faith. He knows that he's, he's in there. He's in, the, he's in the, the heart, your heart, in his home, in your life. And we can believe that someday we will praise again. It's important to realize that this expression of the full range of human emotions is healthy, it's normal, it's, and it's good for us. It helps us in our grief. It makes us um, help with our grief. There's an unhealthiness in the church, this shiny, happy people kind of thinking that we have to always be a, have a praise on our lips, that we always have to be happy. Um, we are created in the image of God, and there's times when God's not happy. <laughs> he makes that pretty clear, too, in Scripture. And so it's sort of damaging to our souls, actually, to feel a certain way, which is truth, and then pretend to be something else. It actually does damage to our souls. We're, we're creating a conflict in us. As opposed to being honest, this is how I'm feeling. I, I was just talking to a friend who was at a church where you could never express any doubts about God. Just praise the Lord. You know, no, stop. Yeah, praise the Lord. You've got to trust God. What's the point of that? If you have doubts, express them. <laughs> if you have fears, express them. If you have sadness, express it. If you have anger, express it. That way we are putting ourselves in a healthy place where we're not creating untruth. What we do when we try to suppress all of that is we take on um, what they call defense mechanisms, right? And some of us had to take some of these on as a child if we went through great traumas. Um, we had to put on some defense mechanisms to survive. But I'll tell you that if, even if they worked for you as a child, they're not going to work for you as an adult. You have to unlearn them. Uh, here's a few of them. Um, one is denying our pain, saying, no, I'm really, I'm fine. You know that they're not fine, but they, you just keep saying, no, I'm fine. We deny it. Another way that we will sort of um, mask our feelings is to minimize it. It's not a big deal. Other people have it worse than me, so don't make any big deal about me. Now listen, 
there's some perspective there. You know, some people, there's always somebody that's got it worse than you, right? So even if you're struggling with something terrible, yes, of course, somebody has something worse than you, but it doesn't make your suffering any less. It's still okay for you to express your suffering. When your child comes to you and they've lost their teddy bear, and you think in your mind, I can buy you another teddy bear. You're not even going to know about this teddy bear in two years. You're not going to even remember it. But for them, it's important, right? And so we are kind and we're gentle with them. Jesus is gentle with you in your suffering. Don't minimize. Sometimes some of us just blame others for what happened. This is how we deflect feeling, what we feel, right? So, no, it's their fault. It's the doctor's fault. They screwed it all up. So we, get our, we put all our anger on the doctors, right? That's how we kind of express it. Others, worse yet, blame ourselves. You say, if I was only a better mother, better daughter, a better son, a better brother, better father, then this wouldn't have happened. Sometimes we rationalize our suppressing our emotions. We make excuses. We make justifications. I don't need to do, I don't need to show what I'm feeling. Um, it's not my responsibility to take care of the situation. I'm just going to walk away from it. We kind of walk away. Some of us intellectualize. Some of you say things like, I know that uh, God is still on the throne, so therefore I shouldn't be sad about anything. <laughs> and again, it is true that God is still on the throne, no matter what's happening in your life. But again, we can still bring our honest feelings to God. Some of us are really good at distracting just three glasses of wine a night, and I feel much better. <laughs> there you go. That's the solution. Or playing a bunch of video games, or distracting ourselves, or filling up every moment with activity. It's always a bit of a red flag to me, and this is true for me as well, when we just fill up time with constantly with action and motion. It means we can't sit alone with our feelings. We can't sit alone with what, what's bothering us. And finally, sometimes we become hostile. Don't mention the name of that person, that person who passed. I don't want to talk about him anymore. We're just going to forget about that. Um, it's an, an, an anger bumbles up at the mention of, these, of the person. See, some of these defensive might have worked for us when we were children, but they're not going to work for you as an adult. They're simply going to keep you suppressing that natural feeling that you have, um, which, which kind of leads me to my second point which is that we've got to pay attention to our feelings. God pays attention to his feelings, and he pays attention to our feelings. The psalmist paid attention to his feelings. Job paid attention to his feelings. We have a biblical example, and we know it's true in our own human life. We've got to pay attention to what's going on inside. Um, check in with yourself. Last year, I did a whole series on, on, on your soul, caring for your soul. And one of the questions I had, which is a good question, so I bring it to you again, is ask yourself periodically, how's my soul? How's my soul? How are we feeling? Um, I did this on the retreat yesterday. We were on a wonderful women's retreat yesterday. Um, and I just sat with the Lord. I was like, how's my soul? What am I feeling right now? And analyze it a little bit. Analyze yourself. Are you stressed out? Why is that? Are you taking on too much? Are you trying to fill on everybody else's expectations or your expectations too high? Are you feeling alone or sad? When does this tend to happen? Is it certain times of day or night? Do you need to find a friend? Do you need to talk to Jesus about it? Um, are you angry or confused or doubting or struggle? Take some time and talk to God about it. Take some private time with him. That was one of the things that we talked about at this retreat yesterday. All of us women were like, we never get a chance to do this, to just come away and be alone with God for an hour. And I just want to say, we shouldn't have to wait to, for a retreat to get alone with God, even for 15 minutes, and say, how's my soul, Lord? How am I feeling? Here's how I'm feeling. And to talk to him about that. I've got news for you. If we don't pay attention to our feelings, they're still there. And they're going to bottle up like a pressure cooker. And you don't know when they're going to burst out. 
much better to, to speak to them now. And I know some of you are like, this is not my deal. I hate this stuff. I don't like talking about my feelings. I don't feel very deeply. I don't want to talk about it. Or some of you, and I've had people say this to me, I'm afraid if I start to let how I'm really feeling and some of these things from the past, we talked last week or two weeks ago about, you know, your family problems and sin patterns. And, and I've had people say to me, if I, if I start letting it out, it's going to just all come out and I'll never get put back together again. That's a real fear. I've had so many people say, I just feel like I'll, it'll just open up Pandora's box and I'll never get put together again. And I just want to tell you right now that that is a false fear. You don't need to be afraid of that. Because actually when I see people who let it all out finally, finally are authentic to who they are inside, rather than never being put back together, I feel like they're finally made whole. I've had so many people who've gone through this process and they're just made whole once they start really acknowledging who, what they feel, how they're feeling, it's like, it's like drawing pus out of a wound, you know? It smarts at first <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you squeeze it, right? But then you get the, the poison out. It feels so much better. It's how we get to healing. So this is an ongoing process. Um, we don't just do it once and it's all over. I can't just cry for two days and now I'm done grieving. <laughs> I don't want to grieve anymore. Let's just do it for two days and be done with it. Um, this is something that we continually go through in our life. Um, we see that in the psalmist. We see that in David. He's always running here and there and, you know, coming back to praise. And then he goes back to sadness and he goes back to anger. And then he goes back to praise. And, you know, this is life, right? This is how we live our life. So I think we also need to stop thinking that people need to move on from their grief. This word I've heard so many times. I, I don't know why they haven't moved on from their grief. And I'd like us to change the wording of that. Um, we never really move on. If, we're, if our loss is great, we never really move on from our grief. In fact, we don't want to <laughs> because we don't want that person to be forgotten, right? We want them to stay, uh, you know, kind of alive in our mind, right? So we're afraid to move. We don't want to move on. And so I want to just put it to us this way. Let's think about expressing and processing our grief, and learning from Jesus how to live and thrive in the context of that grief. Let me say that again. Let's talk about expressing and processing our grief, and learning from Jesus how to live and thrive in the context of this new loss. The grief may go on. It could go on for mo a few months. could go on for years. There will always be a little bit of grief. I still have a little sad place for my mom and my dad. Um, it's not very present anymore. It's been many years. But um, there's always a little place for the grief. But at the same time, God always has a plan for your thriving. He wants you to thrive in the midst of, of adjusting to this new loss. Remember what the sermon's about. Living it with loss and limits. We all have losses and we all have limits. There's hope for you in your limits. There's hope for you in your losses. Um, I love the way the Apostle Paul said it in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. He's not saying you don't grieve, but you grieve with hope. There's hope for you and for me. Not just hope that our loved one is with the Lord, and we know that's true, that's the context of this verse, but also that there's hope for us that in our losses and limits in our life, God is still doing a good work in us. He's still working in us. Our aging bodies and minds can still do good work for the kingdom. Care how much lim limitation you might have because you get, as you get older you have limitation, but God can still use you. He can still work it through you for the kingdom. Our changes in life situation can open new doors. When your children go off to college, it's a loss, but also new new doors open for you, new opportunities. And our losses and healed wounds often become the place where we minister to other people. Right? It's the place where we're able to show compassion to others. The last thing I want to talk about 
is something called a growing edge, recognizing your growing edge. I had a good friend who went through a very, very traumatic loss um, and then sort of some subsequent years of self-discovery. Um, and she, what she said is she said she was discovering her growing edge. And what she said about it is that in her journey through life, she began to see that the place of discomfort was the place where she grew. That when we are stretched beyond our comfort zones, whether in something uncomfortable, something difficult, um, something sad, something scary, um, we're pushed to that growing edge. And that's the place where we get to face our own limitations. Um, maybe we face our immaturities, our, the places that haven't grown up within us. Um, and we get, if we're self-aware, we can take this opportunity as an opportunity to grow. It's a growing place, a growing edge. I realized this need to grow in myself when I was going through this whole process with my surgery. And this first time I was in the hospital, when I was really struggling and really in a crummy mood about it all, um, the board and some of the um, staff came to pray for me. And they're all gathered around me and ready to pray for me. And I don't know, I, you know, I'm thinking I'm supposed to say something really great. And instead I was like, look, I haven't been praising the Lord. <laughs> I had to confess. I made a confession. I haven't been praising. I haven't been cursing the Lord, but I have not been praising the Lord. I've been grumpy and I've been self-pitying and I'm just having a really hard time. Um, and all I could think of was that there's, you know, people I knew in this church who were struggling with much harder things than me, and yet so full of grace, so full of patience and joy, and the love of the Lord on their face, and struggling with much harder things. And it hit me with such force there in that moment, wow, I have a lot to learn. I have a long way to go. I found my growing edge. Does that make sense? And I found the place where I needed to grow, and I needed to get more mature and get more... Uh, find how, how to handle loss and struggle in my life in a way um, that would embrace the Lord and allow the Lord into that place. So we're all there. Here's an, a website describing the growth edge that I really liked. It said, a growth edge is a dangerous opportunity before us. I like that word. Where we get to learn how to be more vulnerable in our lives. It's that gut feeling deep down that something needs to change, even if we don't have a clue what that is. Sometimes a growth edge presents with some ease and excitement, but most typically they come in the form of serious crises and pain. Regardless, we know we're engaging with some type of growth edge when we're feeling uneasy, uncomfortable, unsure, or maybe even downright frightened. We often miss our growth edges because we live in a culture that does a stand-up job of encouraging and teaching us how to numb it out, disconnect and stabilize our misery through the use of endless props and countless addictions. Basically, we armor up, and we're prone to miss them in their beginning stages. Growth edges that may have started in the form of gentle whispers or safe little wake-up calls tend to eventually smack us in the face and bring us to our knees in real rock-bottom moments if we aren't paying good enough attention. While the possibilities are endless, all growth edges have the potential to grow and heal us as they bring us into higher levels of worth and connection. Amen to that. May we embrace those growth edges, especially as we are facing our limits as people, and every one of us in here has faced some limits, or will be facing limits, um, let's embrace the process of allowing God to come below the surface of our life and push us to that growth edge and start to do some new growth, start to do some new growth in those. By the way, Thursday we're going to meet again as a group, anybody that wants to come back and talk a little bit more about this at 630, um, and we're going to talk about if there are any particular losses that you're facing in your life, losses or limits that you're facing in your life, and I'm going to have, we're going to talk through, I'll have you put up again the slide, 
um, the next slide, which is the, that list of kind of our defense mechanisms. So we'll talk a little bit. If, you wanna, if you're going to be there, you might want to take a picture of this. You're going to be thinking through, do I tend to do any of these defense mechanisms as I face the losses and the limits of my life? Um, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit and share, and we'll get to pray for each other. So that'll be at 6.30 on Thursday. Let me bring this to a close. John the Baptist had an amazing, productive ministry. He was baptizing people. People were repenting, were coming to him. And then Jesus came along, and people started going to him. And this is what it says in John 3. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man, Jesus, who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I'm said I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. And I love what John says here. We can only receive, each one of us can only receive what's given us from heaven. Whether it's um, a healthy family and background or a difficult one, whether it's a lot of good health or a lot of bad health, whether we have a successful career or one that never really got off the ground, whether many children or none, whether with many losses or gains. So let's just, first of all, be thankful that in our losses that we have loved so well that we feel the loss, that we can grieve. Let's also stop fighting against our limits as humans and begin to embrace where God has placed us. If we're busy, 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 to slow down. Begin to enjoy life. If we're lonely and sad, find a friend and cry about it. Let it out. Talk to God. Hold on to Jesus. Older person, don't think your time's over. Just because your bones are creaking and it's hard to get up in the morning, just get up a little later and do some ministry. Do some kingdom work. Pour into some young people. Um, God has much for you still to do. Happy person, be thankful for your joyful season. And pour out on others, love others. And grieving person, don't rush your loss. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Feel it. You have all the time in the world to allow Jesus to put you back together again because he loves you and he weeps with you. Let's just take a moment here to pray. To sort of ab absorb what has been just said. I know some of us here, certain losses and limits are very in the forefront of our mind right now. And so I just pray that this moment we would just allow Jesus to come in and touch those things. Grow us, Lord, through these challenges in our life, Lord. And help us not to just move past them, but to sit and to feel. You might take this moment just to tell God how you're feeling. How's my soul? Get honest with him for a minute.